All right, we're back in the book of Genesis this evening. If you want to join me there in chapter 41, where we left off. We left off last time with uh, Joseph, if you remember, there uh, in Potiphar's house, um, continuing to faithfully resist temptation as Potiphar's wife, remember, was uh, making advancements uh, towards him and in many ways a, a beautiful picture and a typology of Jesus, how under great temptation we know our Lord uh, was tempted uh, by the devil himself, it tells us in the wilderness, uh, on uh, one occasion tremendously and yet victoriously uh, overcame that. And of course Joseph in many ways being a type of Christ uh, as we've seen him thus far, you know, the Lord's hand and calling upon his life and uh, yet rejected by his brothers in the same way Jesus came to his own, John 1 tells us, and his own received him not. And, and we see many of these glimmerings in the life of Joseph, how he's reflective and a, a type and a picture of Jesus Christ in, in many different ways. But of course, we saw him in this incredible way resist uh, the temptation, the advancement of Potiphar's wife. But unfortunately, uh, because of that refusal and his integrity and his righteousness, the Bible says all those who live godly uh, in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And Joseph got more than his fair share of that because, remember, his wife, uh, Potiphar's wife, once she was refused, was so angry that she completely uh, turned the tables and basically accused uh, Joseph before all the household servants and her own husband, Potiphar, who was the captain of the guard, uh, of actually trying to be the one to forcefully rape her. And as a result of that, Potiphar, no doubt, uh, having no other recourse, and as I said, again, my own personal conviction, I think he was a lot more suspicious of his wife than he was of Joseph, who had become this incredible servant in his house, who it was so evident God was blessing the home of Potiphar, we saw, because of Joseph's presence and how God was prospering Joseph. Uh, he really had no other recourse but to put Joseph into prison and sometimes it's just to save face so here joseph now once again finds himself taking another difficult turn in his life and like you and i here god's hand is upon his life god's deposited these dreams into his heart god's revealed that he has a plan and a purpose for his life and for joseph it has just been one difficulty after another it has been one challenge after another one hardship after another where no doubt like you and i he's being forced to live by faith and everything in his natural humanity would force him to continue at times to question lord how does this how does this play into your plan this setback this misfortune this mistreatment and at this point we left joseph where he was there in the prison and remember once again god was with him the lord began to bless him this guy wherever he was at uh, despite what he was going through he sought to make the most of it to honor god in that situation the lord was with him he prospered him in the prison he again was given responsibility because he was a great steward even as he was in his own father's home and in potiphar's house and now he's helping out the keeper of the prison everything's been committed to his care and where he's sitting there in prison it tells us that the uh, butler and baker of the king of egypt or pharaoh had offended their lord and remember they then are sentenced to prison and while they're there joseph having interactions with them these two officials of pharaoh's court have a dream uh, and both of them had this uh, a similar dream, wasn't the same dream, similar in the sense that it had something to do with three days and a, a traumatic event that was going to happen in their life. 
And they went to Joseph and basically shared their dreams. And we saw last time in chapter 40 together that as they said, the problem is that we have no interpreter. Joseph said, do not interpretations belong to God. And he knew he had a confidence in the greatness of God and the power of God and what the Lord was able to do. So Joseph somehow sought the Lord and God revealed to him the interpretations of these two dreams. Uh, and that his interpretations very simply uh, was that uh, one of the individuals, uh, it was, if I remember correctly, the, the butler, that he was going to be restored back to his position uh, in the king's palace. And the baker, who apparently must have been the guilty one in whatever took place among the, the palace coup that got these two men tossed into prison, he was going to lose his life in three days. You remember as we transition into this evening study in chapter 41, that Joseph declared, it tells us in chapter 40, verse 14, speaking to the butler, he said to him, listen, he said, verse 14, remember me when it's well with you and please show kindness to me and make mention to Pharaoh and get me out of this house for I've been stolen away from the land of the Hebrews. I've done nothing here, nothing wrong here, that they should put me into this dungeon. So he says, look, when you're released from here and God's gracious to you and this dream comes to pass in three days and you're right back at the right hand of Pharaoh again in a place of prominence where you have his ear, you're elevated back. Again, it was like one of the, the chief advisors among Pharaoh's court. He says, please do me a favor. Would you, all I'm asking, speak a word on my behalf. Hey, Pharaoh, there's this guy, Joseph, in prison. Great guy. And, and he got a raw deal. He really did nothing wrong. He was falsely accused. Uh, can we do something to spring him and to get him out of prison? Uh, and no doubt Joseph is just waiting. Three days come to pass. The dream happens. The butler is released, it tells us. He's back uh, taking care of things within Pharaoh's house. And verse 23 says, however, the chief butler we saw did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And how disappointing that must have been for Joseph to have feeling like, again, I get the raw end of the deal again. Once again, I can't believe I got overlooked. I got set aside. And, and maybe you've experienced that recently where you feel like you've been overlooked. You've been set aside and you're thinking, how could this possibly happen? This isn't right. I'm trying to do the right thing. And instead of getting rewarded or taken care of, I keep getting overlooked or mistreated. And here Joseph's sitting there again in prison, days going by. But the reason, again, for that, as we'll see this evening, was because it was not God's timetable yet. And as we said last time, if Joseph would have been released automatically, you know as well as I do that if he's anything like us, he would have instantaneously, as soon as he got his freedom, said, you know what, I am so sick and tired of Egypt. I've got my past to freedom. I am getting out of here. I'm going back to my homeland and back to my father's house. The problem is he would not have been in the right place at the right time. When Pharaoh then began to have his dreams, as we'll see tonight, to be in the place where God could use him as the instrument that God intended him to use. So again, personally, my conviction I totally think it's divine amnesia. I think God purposely made him get forgotten. I think God purposely made him get overlooked. And I think that there are times 
where we may even experience negative things in our lives where we feel like we've been mistreated or somehow you know we got forgotten or, or we got overlooked and and we're thinking this is so unfair and just more time is wasting and here i am still sitting in this prison and and i'm inhibited when the reality is sometimes that's all part of god's timetable because god's coordinating everything so that we'll be in the right place at the right time when his timetable comes to pass for him to do what he wants to do in our lives and he knows us God is providence. He sees ahead. And he also knows us in a very personal and intimate way. And he realizes that if certain things were granted to us, we may very well just make the wrong decision and therefore, in a sense, create a bigger hindrance compared to what God ultimately had planned and stored for our life. So here's Joseph. He's sitting in prison. He feels forgotten. But chapter 41, verse 1, then it came to pass. And that's really the theme of this whole chapter. Then it came to pass. Finally, what Joseph had been waiting for, which was what? To get sprung from prison. He's been waiting to get sprung from prison. But God's not going to spring him from prison one day or one hour before it's time for God to spring him from prison. God's keeping him right where he's at in a sovereign way, controlling the affairs of his life and circumstances all around him, cultivating Joseph's character as we've been talking about, getting him ready for what God's about to use him for, which was critical, as well as making sure he was available in the right place at the right hour. So it came to pass, notice, at the end of two full years. So for two years, he's been sitting there, forgotten uh, from this butler who did not speak a word on his behalf. After two full years, that Pharaoh had a dream. And behold, he stood by the river... And suddenly there came up out of the river, notice, seven cows, which would be typical because in that day the cows would, and this again would all be speaking to Pharaoh's mind of things he could relate to. Cows would typically go down uh, into the, the river areas to keep the flies off of them, to keep themselves cool. So Pharaoh's envisioning things that were very common and familiar to him. Again, uh, in that culture, the again, the cows, and you'll see the next dream is about grain. These speak as well to him of the realities of the economic uh, status of the Egyptian culture. These things, you know, their agriculture and their animals, these were things that spoke of their economy and the, the stability of their economy in the mind of someone like Pharaoh of Egypt. So behold, it says, there were seven cows. They came up out of the river, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. And then behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river. These were ugly and gaunt. The idea is sickly and skinny. And they stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven fine-looking and fat cows. And Pharaoh awoke. So he has this really bizarre dream. Here he's seeing these beautiful, healthy, fat cows. They come up out of the river, and then all of a sudden he sees something very strange, these sickly, kind of, you know, emaciated, weak cows, and they come up as well, and there's seven of them also. And then all of a sudden they come over, and they just start devouring, uh, you know, these... You've had these peculiar, strange dreams. Isn't that what dreams are like? They're always really weird, you know? Just, you just go, wow, that is so weird. So he has this really bizarre dream... 
And like you and I, because he has this really bizarre kind of dream, no doubt he, he's he's tossing and turning. What was that about? I mean, that was again. What was that like to watch it go on and to see it visually? So he's kind of wrestling there and in bed, wondering what was that about. It's woken him up. Ultimately, as he's thinking through it, he becomes drowsy and he falls back asleep, which brings us to verse 5. It says, he then slept and dreamed a second time. And suddenly, seven heads of grain came up on the stalk, plump and good. And then behold, seven thin heads, blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. So again, here you have this same idea. Seven healthy, vibrant, plump uh, heads of grain, and then you have again seven, again, very blighted, emaciated, very weak, sickly uh, grain stalks have come up as well. And I don't know if this is even stranger. I can picture cows eating cows, but you know that seems like that they should eat something. But verse 6 says, Then behold, seven heads blighted by the east wind sprang up after them, and the seven thin heads devoured, so now you got plants here devouring the, the other plants, they devoured the seven plump and full heads, so Pharaoh awoke, and indeed... It was a dream. And now it came to pass, verse 8, in the morning that his spirit was troubled, as no doubt it would have been. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, notice, but there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. So uh, Pharaoh does what you would expect him to do. He turns to kind of the guild which would exist in that ancient culture of Egypt of these wise men and magi is often referred to these uh, individuals who are a part of his court that would do incantations and they would study hieroglyphics and you know, they would channel spirits and were able to supposedly interpret dreams and, you know, give omens and all these kind of things. So he turns to these individuals and he says, look, I've had these strange dreams. Do whatever it is you guys do. That's what I pay you for. I don't understand how you do it or why you do it, but go look in your magic books or whatever. Do some incantations, but I need to understand what these dreams meant. Apparently, again, they were so significant. The one thing Pharaoh sensed was... You know, this wasn't just the result of, you know, too much hot sauce, you know, on his eggs that it just made him have some. He sensed there's, there was something behind this. There was something of substance to these dreams that even interesting as a pagan individual, he realized there's something about these dreams. I need to know what they mean. And, and no doubt, again, interesting to see how here's a pagan man, a man who does not know God, but yet God is communicating to his heart. And I find that wonderful. Uh, I find that encouraging because it tells me that God is always in work in the lives of people. Whether they're seeking God or not, God is always seeking them. And here God's given these off-the-wall, peculiar dreams, and he doesn't know what's going on yet. He'll get better understanding as time goes. But God's working his life, and he knows something's uh, this means something. There's some meaning to this. So he's searching for an answer among those who were his wise men, but verse 8 says, but no one could interpret those dreams for Pharaoh. And again, do you know why no one could interpret those dreams for Pharaoh? Because those dreams are from God. So some false spirit of men who worship other gods are not going to be able to interpret something that comes from the spirit of God. These dreams are from God himself. So somebody who was in touch with God and the spirit of God is the only one that's going to be able to give the answers. So here he's finding the limited ability 
of these men that he pays. And this reminds us much of what happens in the, again, the book of Daniel. Remember when Nebuchadnezzar had that dream of, of the statue with the head of gold. And then as you descended down the statue, it was gold and then silver and bronze. And then feet, it says there were iron mixed with clay. And of course, it's a representation, once it's interpreted, of the different world empires that would take place historically. And, and, and as Nebuchadnezzar had that very strange dream... He did the same thing. He sought his wise men, and ultimately he became so frustrated with him, he was ready to just kill all the wise men because he was at a point where he said, what do I pay you guys for? I got you guys on the staff. You can't even do what you're supposed to do, and he's ready to just kill all of his wise men and dream interpreters until eventually Daniel is thrust then into the place where he, because he knows the living God, was able to give an interpretation, and you see that in Daniel chapter 2. So again, this same kind of idea here taking place so verse 9 says at that moment as no doubt this is taking place among the the palace precincts nobody can interpret these dreams pharaoh is it says verse uh, 8 here he is troubled by them his spirit was troubled so he's not going to rest over this he's very unsettled no one can seem to resolve the problem or interpret his dreams at that moment, verse 9, the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh and said, Oy vey. <laughs> That's probably what the Hebrew is. I remember now, he says, my faults this day. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker, we each had a dream in one night, he and I. And each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now there was a young Hebrew man with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard. And we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us, to each man he interpreted according to his own dream. So all of a sudden now, look what happens. All of a sudden that divine amnesia, it's lifted. At the right hour, at the right moment, the Lord creates the circumstances, you know, Call it how you would, you know, the natural realm, the supernatural realm. God creates the right moment at the right hour, the perfect circumstances to where his memory is triggered. And he realizes, oh, man, boy, it's been two years. I can't imagine what, jo what Joseph must be thinking. I told him, hey, no problem, bud. When I get out of here, least I can do for you is say something to the Pharaoh. I got you covered. Don't worry about that. And instead of three days, it's been two full years. And he goes, oh, man, I remember my fault. He's going to be really... Really got to be kind of bummed about this one here. I can't believe that. So he says, look, let me tell you. And then he recounts the story of how he and the baker both had a dream and Joseph was there and he interpreted each dream. And verse 13, he says, and it came to pass just as he interpreted for us. In other words, exactly how this guy interpreted, it was completely accurate. It was 100% accurate. It was exactly three days. The baker he lost his life, like Joseph said that he would. Myself, three days later, I was raised back up. I was reinstalled into my position. It came to pass exactly as he interpreted for us. And you know what? That's how you can tell that God's behind something. Whether it's prophecy, a dream, a vision, an interpretation of a dream, whatever it may be, when God does things, they're 100% accurate. If there's a measure of error, it's, it's usually a pretty clear indication that's not God because God doesn't make mistakes. So here it says, he interpreted it, and it came to pass exactly as he interpreted, so it happened. 
He restored me to my office and he hanged him. Now take notice what their belief was. Referring to Joseph, it says, It came to pass as he interpreted, so it happened. He, referring to Joseph now, he restored me to my office and he, Joseph, hanged him. In other words, in that culture, they believed that the person who was able to interpret a dream was also the one who had the power to bring that to pass. Again, of course, their theology is a little confused, uh, but that was their conviction. If somebody had the power to interpret a dream, they believed they were the person who had the power to control the dream and to bring it to pass in someone's life. Again, elevating man certainly to a much higher level than they should, but their theology was just a little confused. Well, verse 14, understandably so, says Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon and he shaved and changed his clothing and came to Pharaoh. So imagine this. Here's Joseph and all of a sudden now, here he is there. He's passing out water and bread among the prison. All of a sudden there's a knock on the dungeon door or whatever. Somebody says, hey, Joseph. Pharaoh wants to see you. Uh, and all of a sudden, Joseph, again, two years have passed. I don't think he instantaneously connects this with what's going to take place. He's just told the Pharaoh wants to see you. So it tells us that he, again, cleans himself up. He shaved, and that was uh, a necessary thing culturally because if you've ever seen pictures uh, of Egyptian you know, literature or things of that nature, the Egyptians typically did the opposite of the Hebrews. Egyptians kept clean-shaved. They shaved their heads. They didn't have any facial hair, where Hebrews actually typically did the opposite. Uh, Hebrews typically, a lot of times, would not shave. They would let their hair grow long, let their beards grow long. They would only shave in times of mourning, where the exact opposite was kind of the flip with the Egyptians. But again, he realizes he's going to go before Pharaoh, so he recognizes, you know what, uh, like Paul says, you know, to the Jew, you become a Jew. <laughs> to the Greek, you become a Greek. I become all things to all men. So in a respectful way, he's going to appear before Pharaoh. He shaves, he gets himself cleaned up out of respect uh, to enter into his domain to go and stand before him. So he comes to Pharaoh now, and Pharaoh says to Joseph, verse 15, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. And I don't know, was Joseph like me and you thinking, boy, I hope I'm on this time, you know? <laughs> Whew, you know I was on last time, but man, Lord, this is Pharaoh this time. I mean, one thing to be off with the chief butler or the baker, they're already prisoners. I mean, what, what do we got to lose here? But now Pharaoh's telling me he's had a dream. And again, you got to keep in mind, he hasn't read the rest of the chapter. He's just thrust right into this. He is standing before the most powerful man in a ruling world empire in an instant. He just went from the dungeon to being before the very throne of the most powerful man in the land, Pharaoh of Egypt, really the great empire of that day. And Pharaoh says, I've had a dream and there's nobody who can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you, notice that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me, God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Man, you got to love the heart of this guy. Here he has a moment where he is standing there and if there's ever a moment when somebody could have capitalized on self-glorification or, or trying to manipulate the situation to exalt himself, to help her to assist, 
truth of the matter was God had given him the ability to interpret dreams. He had done it successfully. But when here it's said of him, I've heard that you can understand a dream to interpret it. What does Joseph do? Again, he deflects all the glory. He does not touch the glory. And he just deflects it in a very humble attitude. You know, in a sense, there's a measure of truth to this. God had used him in this way, but he instantly recognized, look, it has nothing to do with me. Anything good, anything beneficial that's come to my life, it's not in me. I don't have the ability to do anything, but he says God will give Pharaoh the answer that he's looking for. Again, putting the glory out towards God and, and seeking to, again, I think, bring up very openly and honestly, not being ashamed, the reality of who his trust was in. Uh, again, Pharaoh didn't worship God like Joseph did, but he said, look, if, if you're asking me how I can help you, the way I can help you is, is because I have a connection to God and my God can help you. So he says, God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold, he's going to share now the dream, he recounts it, in my dream, I stood on the bank of the river, and suddenly seven cows came up out of the river, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. And then, behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt. <laughs> then Pharaoh adds, such ugliness as I have never seen. <laughs> in all the land, it was the ugliest cows I ever seen. They're just horrible. And the gaunt and ugly cows, they ate up the first seven, the fat cows. And this is an interesting little side note. We didn't get this earlier. And when they had eaten them up, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were just as ugly as at the beginning. So he says, this, you can tell he was so troubled by this dream. He says, here they were all sick and emaciated, and then they just devoured these fat cows. And after they devoured a cow that was fat and plump, they didn't even look like they'd eaten anything. They, instead of just all of a sudden having a big belly, he said, they just looked just as bad. Nothing changed at all. Verse 22, he says, and also uh, in my dream, suddenly seven heads came up on the stalk, fool and good. And behold, seven heads withered, thin and blighted by the east wind sprang up after them. And the thin heads devoured the seven good heads. So I told this to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. So he recounts these dreams that we saw earlier, adding a detail or few. Verse 25, And Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. Both dreams are actually one message. He says, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. I love the boldness of this guy's faith, man. Here he is standing before, again, someone of incredible authority, and he's not being bashful. Again, he's, he's respectful. He's tactful. He's not being offensive, but at the same time, he's also not cowering down, to be honest. And again, I so appreciate this. Jesus says, look, you're going to be brought before kings and rulers and authorities for my sake. Jesus told the disciples, but he says, don't worry. You don't have to premeditate in advance with the saying that very hour, the Holy Spirit will give you what you need to say. And you know, so important that we never have a fear of man. The Bible says the fear of man is a snare. And should we show respect? Should we show honor? Should we appreciate authority? All those things? Yes. But by the same token, we should never be intimidated to say things that are true about God before anybody. It, ultimately, we should fear the Lord and representing and, and, and reverencing the Lord should be our primary heart. And, and here, what an incredible window of opportunity 
to be a witness and a testimony to Pharaoh at this point because God was speaking to Pharaoh and Pharaoh didn't understand it. And what's Joseph doing here? He's basically just helping Pharaoh along in his faith. Here, God's working in Pharaoh's life and, and quite honestly, in his naivety and ignorance, Pharaoh doesn't understand what's going on. And here Joseph is saying, look, let me tell you what's happening. He says, God is showing you what he's about to do. Interesting. Here is God showing a pagan king, a pagan world ruler, something's about to take place. God's speaking to his heart and God's showing him things. And I look at that and it's an incredible reminder to me as well that that is something that God seeks to do in our life, that God at times shows us things that he's going to do. It may be through a dream. Yeah, it's one of the ways that God speaks. But again, if God was concerned about telling a pagan king things that were going to take place, certainly if you're seeking to follow the Lord, don't you think God wants to show you things that he's about to do so that you can be prepared, so that you can be in cooperation with what the Lord's plan and purpose is for your life? And God is a God of revelation. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. And I think that there are times where God shows us in advance what he's about to do. He gives us a sense. He speaks to us about something through different ways that he works in our lives. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. He then says the seven good cows are seven years. The seven good heads are seven years. And the dreams are one. The seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. Again, Joseph reiterates, God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. And maybe recently the Lord's been showing you what he's about to do. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Indeed, here's the summation, Seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt. So for seven years, there'll be incredible prosperity in the land of Egypt. But after those seven years of great prosperity and plenty, then seven years of famine will arise. And all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. And the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. And the dream, notice, was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. So Joseph indicates to Pharaoh, listen, Pharaoh, God, because of the responsibility and sphere of influence that you have over so many people, is revealing things to you as God does to a leader because that's essential. You know, when a leader makes decisions, they have a much broader impact on a lot of more people. So it only would go without saying that God in his wisdom is going to speak to someone who's got to provide leadership so that they hopefully have the best opportunity to navigate the course directly on target with what God is going to do. And God was about to bring two unique seasons, seven years of incredible prosperity. The land would prosper, there'd be great abundance, the economy would boom and things would go really well. But right on the heels of that, remember, God does things in seasons. And God was going to bring a famine directly after that. And right after those seven years of prosperity, there were going to come seven very difficult years where there was going to be famine in the land. And in a sense, let's put it in our modern vernacular, the economy was going to tank and crash and everything was going to get really hard and difficult and so hard 
that the prior seven years of abundance would be depleted and basically completely forgotten because it would be so hard in the seven latter years that would come afterwards. So uh, Joseph is trying to get Pharaoh to realize, look, God has repeated this to you twice because it's something established by God. And again, Joseph, though it's not written in ink, he already has this understanding of how God works. Again, the Bible tells us by the mouth of two or three witnesses, things are established. We're going to read ultimately in the law. And Joseph recognized that this repetition of the message was something that God did purposely to reinforce what he's about to do and to reinforce what he's showing. And and maybe you realize this, and, and I experienced this at my life at times, where at times it seems like that when God's trying to show me something, he'll repeat the same message to me more than once. You know, and, and I think it's one of a very good way at times to help be discerning in regards to, is God really trying to show me something here? I find that when God's trying to show me something, uh, that the message kind of gets fired across my bow multiple times. You know, Maybe you read something in the Bible in the morning and you think, wow, you know, I think maybe the Lord's speaking something to me there. And then you, you go out to you know, go somewhere and you flip on the car radio and you turn the Christian radio station on and here's, you know, some Bible program and lo and behold, here's the guy teaching a passage of scripture and he quotes like the exact same verse or from those, you know, verses, he, he brings up the exact same thing that reinforces what you just read in your morning devotions or your, you know, and, and then maybe later that day you see somebody else or tomorrow you're talking to some Christian friends and they're bringing up something. It may not even be conversation directed towards you. They're saying something and boom, there's that same message again. Or you go to a Bible study and you hear the same thing again. And I think it's one of the ways so often that God in his graciousness and, and in his sensitivity to the weakness of our flesh, he condescends and, and he reiterates and he confirms again and again. And if you think the Lord's speaking something to you, I would encourage you, be patient and allow the Lord to confirm that. And look for the Lord to confirm things in your life with repetition that he establishes. I think he does it for a sense of protecting us from erring at times in our lives because we all have the capacity to do that. I'd be the first to admit to you. There are many a times where I have thought the Lord was saying something to me and to realize afterwards my radar's off. I was tuning in a frequency, but that wasn't God's frequency. You know, it's like I need to readjust the antenna here because that sounded like a good idea or that might have been a good thought or I heard something and and I just was thinking maybe the Lord was saying something to me, but that's why it's important to be patient, to be prayerful, to look for this kind of a pattern because we see this throughout Scripture. And Joseph here being in tune with God and having a walk with God, he says to Pharaoh, again, he realizes this pattern of how God speaks, of how God establishes things. He says the dream, the reason you had two dreams and it was repeated to Pharaoh twice was to show you that this thing is established by God. And not only was it established by God, but he says it's shortly to come to pass. In other words, God's about to do it soon. It's going to take place right away, so God's reinforcing it so that you'll be ready for what's about to happen very soon. Verse 33, Now therefore let Pharaoh, Joseph says, select discerning and wise men. So because this is about to happen, Joseph just continues on and says, you know what, uh, th this is something that since God's shown it to you, it'd be wise to act upon it and, and to make sure that you cooperate with what God's going to do, to be prepared to handle it, he says. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. 
And let Pharaoh do this, let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth, the idea is 20%, one-fifth or 20% of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. Now, a couple interesting things. Joseph basically proposes a resolution or a way to, in a sense, act upon what God has just shown to him. He says, look, what God has shown is something that he has indicated so that we can prepare and respond accordingly. So, he understands, again, God does, not necessarily Joseph, God understands human nature. And typically, human nature is to do what? We live life to the fullest extent, so when there's plenty and prosperity, we think, okay, then I'm supposed to indulge my plenty and prosperity, God wants me to have more. And again, nothing wrong with God blessing and prospering, but we tend to live to the highest extreme, spend everything we make, you know, take advantage of everything we have and use it in the moment, in the hour, and never take into consideration, uh, what if things change tomorrow? What if all of a sudden everything turns around? What if all of a sudden the economy crashes? What if all of a sudden one of our family members gets cancer, and now all of a sudden our whole... And again, I'm not saying that we should live in fear, but what I'm saying is the Bible indicates to us that it is wise to be prudent, to be discerning, to be planning, to be resourceful and thinking ahead. And there's a time and a season for different things. There was a time of plenty, but also there was a time of famine. And God brought both seasons. The wise thing is taking into consideration how to be adequately prepared for whatever season that we're living in. And Joseph, knowing that this famine was going to come and it would be so difficult, he says, look, when there's an abundance and a bumper crop why not, since there's such abundance, use reservation and restraint? Imagine that in the American spending culture. <laughs> you know, would to God if the government would just read the Bible. It'd be amazing to wonder what our deficits would have been like. When things started going really well, you know, after the you know, Second World War and the economy was booming and bursting, instead of going out and just spending the hill, we said, well, what if it maybe isn't always that way? And so instead of just maxing out our credit and doing all the – again, Joseph says, look, let's collect one-fifth. Let's live off of 80% and let's put 20% aside. And basically what he does, he recommends levying like a 20% straight tax across the board during the time of incredible prosperity, during the years of plenty in the land of Egypt. Now, a 10% tax was typical. That was already the norm in Egypt. So he says, look, why don't in a season when we have plenty of extra, when plenty of extra is available and plenty of extra is coming in, why not take an additional portion since there's so much surplus and just put it aside to have it available so that ultimately when that famine, in this case, it wasn't a questionable thing. They knew it was coming. He was absolutely certain that this was going to happen. So to be able to survive during that time, he says, hey, let's take an additional 10% across the board and in an administrative way collect that from the people. Interesting to me, too, that he does not let the people have responsibility of that for themselves because most people, most people wouldn't have done that. 
Instead, he says, look, let's be wise, let's prepare in advance and put some aside and appoint somebody to do this, he says, so that the food shall be a reserve, verse 36, for the land for the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. So again, laying aside for the more difficult days. And again, that's part of life. And there's just really good wisdom in some of the concepts of how this all unfolds. Verse 37, so the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the spirit of God? Again, they recognize that God's presence is with Joseph. And I don't think Joseph was kind of self-exaltation here. That's it's not what you see taking place. He's just sharing honestly the wisdom that God's given to him and saying, look, the smartest thing to do would be to appoint somebody to administrate this as a process for the sake of preserving the lives of all the people in the empire. And as Pharaoh and his servants hear these things, they say, hey, this is, this is incredible. This is, this is a really great plan. And, and, and since God gave you this wisdom of how to resolve this, who better to take responsibility over the things you're talking about than yourself? He says, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? And interesting, Joseph's about to be promoted, in a sense, to a place of like the prime minister of the or the governor of Egypt, second in command to Pharaoh. And take notice, what is the one thing that gets him there? It's his relationship with God. It wasn't that, well, he's just such an educated man. This guy is so educated. And with that resume, what was Joseph's resume? He was a man who knew God, who interpreted a few dreams because of God. He'd been sitting in prison. It wasn't that there was something wonderful about him. The wisdom of God was just in him, and it was that wisdom of God that made him so valuable that, wow, the wisdom of God is with this individual, and God uses that to bring him to a place of incredible usefulness, and he's promoted to this place in a, in a day, in an instant. It says, Pharaoh said to Joseph, Indeed, as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be ruler over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. Second in command, exalted to the right hand of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took his signet ring, again, which was the identification ring of those in a place of authority. It's how they would seal their letters or their property. They'd push the signet ring, which had the emblem of their authority uh, and their identity into a wax seal, typically. He took his signet ring off his hand. He put it on Joseph's hand, indicating that he was granting all of his authority to Joseph's backing, and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck and made him ride in the second chariot which he had, and they cried out before him, Bow the knee. Interesting, they're all bowing the knee uh, to, to Joseph now, as again, Philippians 2 tells us that, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Uh, in, initially rejected, but now lifted up to a place of prominence, just like Jesus. Rejected, but God raised him up and gave him the name which is above every name. Bow the knee, and he set him over all the land of Egypt, and Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh without your consent. No man may lift his hand or foot 
in all the land of Egypt. Now you want to talk about a radical change in a day. In a day. I mean, here's the, this guy just has a life that like in a day, major things seem to happen. You know, here he's with his father and his household and he's taking responsibility for the father's flock and in a day, his whole world falls apart, right? In a day, he's thrown in a pit and then he's sold off to a bunch of Ishmaelite traders and he's taken away from his family and his whole world comes crashing in in a day. Then things start to get a little bit better again. He's there, he's trying to make do in Pharaoh's house and he's trying to do the right thing. He's resisting temptation, he's keeping his integrity, he's walking in righteousness and then all of a sudden, finally, the horn's blown on him. He resists the greatest victory in temptation and things are twisted around and in a day, he loses his position in Potiphar's house and he's tossed into prison where he sits for the next two years. And he's sitting there for two years, waiting and wondering and questioning, just like you and I would, thinking, man, it's like God's forgotten me. And I know you never feel like that, right? I'm sure you never, ever, you never have struggled in your life with feeling like, I just, I'm starting to wonder if God's lost my file. I'm starting to wonder if he's just forgotten me. I mean, I mean, I'm praying and waiting and praying and waiting and it's nothing's ever changing. It's always the same way or the thing I'm waiting for, it's not coming to pass. And, and amazing, in one day, this guy goes from handing out bread and water in prison to, uh, Joseph, Pharaoh would like to see you. And in the morning, he's handing out bread and water in prison and in the afternoon, he's standing at the right hand of Pharaoh with a robe and Pharaoh's signet ring as the prime minister of all of Egypt. You know I mean, let that be an incredible reminder to you that uh, God has a set time, and when the set time comes, it does not take God long at all to do what God wants to do. But God's got a timetable. And the important thing is waiting for God's timetable and trusting that God does work all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose and trusting hey god is working i may not see how he's working i don't understand what's going on but listen he is working and when the right time comes for your life god can turn everything around in a day in a day this guy's life was transformed just consider the radical change that happened from where he started in the morning to where he was by the afternoon being paraded around bow the knee to joseph and he's prime minister like that in one moment. And the Lord hasn't changed. He can do the exact same thing in all of our lives. And you know what? Quite honestly, when you look at the way Joseph responds and how he speaks and handles himself and all this, with what? Incredible humility. Incredible humility. I mean, consider that. Here he is, and think of the power and all the authority that's just been granted to him as God thrusts him into this place of a position of authority if he was not ready for that this kid would have made a train wreck at this point he's only 30 years old we know and if he wasn't ready to handle that so for 13 years yes the lord's putting him through things why so that when the right time came he was able to handle correctly what god was about to give to him because, you know, nothing worse than eventually coming to the place where finally we experience what we've longed to experience or we finally get what we've been craving for and we're not ready for it and our character's not ready and our heart's not right before the Lord, man, we can make a mess of things. 
uh, and really cause incredible problems because of pride and things that are in our heart that sometimes God needs to wean out of us. And Joseph's character was prepared. He was able to handle this with incredible humility and incredible usefulness as God brought him to this place. Verse 46, or excuse me, verse 45 says, Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath paneah so I guess that was part of the cross to bear. You get an extra Egyptian name, which commentators dispute, but there's no real credible evidence of what that actually means. It's an Egyptian name anyway. And he also gave him a wife, uh, Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Again, he's put into this place. Interesting as well. Here he's lifted up bow the knee, he's given his position and place of authority, and interesting, it's at that point, historically, this is the story, it says that he's given, what, a wife, an interesting, a Gentile wife, and what an interesting picture of Jesus, that Jesus has been given a wife, he's been given a a Gentile bride as the result of what he did, and after he was raised up from the cross, you and I, the bride of Christ, have been given to Jesus now in his exalted position as a result of what he's done. So Joseph now receives a wife. He goes out over the land of Egypt. No doubt he's evaluating everything that's taking place in the land to be able to come up with a plan to execute what he needs to. And Joseph was 30 years old, again, the same age Jesus was when he began his public ministry, 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Now in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt. And he laid up the food in the cities. And he laid up in every city the food of the fields which surrounded them. And Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting for it was immeasurable. So just like God showed him, he walked through the process in discipline. And I, I want to invite in discipline, because you know how there must have been incredible challenge. Isn't that enough, Joseph? I mean, come on. I mean, God's blessing. Shouldn't we spend some of it? I mean, I mean, look how much we have. Why do we got to keep saving some? Why do we got to keep putting some aside? And Joseph is a, a wise leader with incredible discipline was able to have restraint. He knew that there was a time to to be reserved and there would be a time where it would all have to be used because that put aside in reservation would ultimately, there'd come a season where guess what? It would all have to get depleted and spent back out so that they could survive the famine. So incredible discipline and that's difficult. As things were prosperous, he stood on task. He was able to have restraint He wasn't pulled to the right or the left. Again, just good marks of a good steward and a man of vision, a good leader. He's able to stay focused in the right season, staying on track, not getting pulled to one side or the other. Joseph gathered as much grain, it says, as the sand of the sea until ultimately they couldn't even keep records anymore. It was so immeasurable. And during that time to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came whom his wife, the daughter of Potiphar, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, which basically means making forgetful. And he says, I call this son Manasseh, for God has made me forget all the toil of my father's house. And interesting, again, Joseph's heart. What an incredible heart of maturity. He had been through a lot. 
but he says, notice, God has made me forget all the pain, the ideas, all the pain and problems that I experienced in my upbringing in my house. And you know what? So wonderful, because to be in a place where you're at, where you cannot let go of pain or hurts or hard things that have happened in your past, will only just be an incredible stumbling block, and it will hinder you from all the good and wonderful things God wants to do in your life. And in the same way, God was able to help Joseph forget, to bury it, to let go of the past, to move on to what God had planned for his future. You know what? The Lord can do the same. And if tonight there's something in your past, in your family, something painful or hard that's happened, can I encourage you? Seek the Lord. He's able to help you forget it. He's able to help you let go of it. So it doesn't have to be something that you hang on to and bitterness and, and just continues to just plague you. He says, God has made me forget. He's He's taken it away so it doesn't continue to torment me internally. Verse 52, in the name of the second, he called the second son Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my afflictions. So he named the second son according to what he saw God doing. Again, God's able to take away our pain, and God's also able to bless and to prosper us and to make us fruitful, interesting, even in the land of our affliction, even in a place that's a difficult time. God can bless in the most difficult of spots, even in our lives. And the seven years of plenty, which were in the land of Egypt, ended, and the seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph had said, the famine was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread, and Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. And whatever he says to you do, and the famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened up all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, and the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. And notice, so wise was his administration because of what God showed him. Not just that he preserved Egypt, but it says, verse 57, so all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all lands. And we'll see as we move into the next chapters how that has a direct connection to Joseph's family being spared and coming as well to survive at a time so that the nation of Israel is preserved. Before we close, though, look with me back in verse 55. Interesting statement when everything is unfolding and people are going to, to Pharaoh and saying, hey, we're running out of bread. The famine's severe. We have a problem. What should we do? And they go to Pharaoh. Look what Pharaoh says, verse 55. He says, go to Joseph. And whatever he says to you, do. Go to Joseph, and whatever he says to you, just do whatever he tells you. Interesting to me, because again, what an incredible type of Jesus. You can almost stick Jesus' name in there. Go to Jesus, and whatever he says to you, do. Remember in John chapter 2, where they're at the wedding of Cana, and it says that they run out of, remember, wine. There's a problem. Something needs to be resolved. And they go to Mary, and Mary turns to Jesus and, and, and he says, Woman, why do you trouble me? Now is not my hour. And then Mary, interesting, the last words recorded on the lips of the Virgin Mary are these. John chapter 2, she says, Whatever he says to you, do it. Interesting. The last recorded words of the Virgin Mary, who unfortunately is often exalted to a place 
way higher than what she should be venerated even some people a co-redeemer to Christ I mean just the last the Bible which I think is the authority not the traditions of men the Bible the last records of Mary whatever she points to her son Jesus says whatever he says to you do it and and how beautiful to see that again here with Joseph a picture of Christ and whenever we face problems look whatever the problem is whether it's a problem on a this is a problem on a global level or whether it's a, a personal family problem where we ran out of wine at the wedding oh my goodness whether it's a global problem or whether it's a family problem or whether it's a personal problem you know what the wisest thing you can do is heed those very words go to Jesus and whatever he says do it not what what does your friend say maybe what does this person say or that whatever Jesus says to you do that that is the safest and wisest approach to resolve anything that we face at times it's challenging